For anyone who doesn't know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Mind Your Melon has been working with Bayer Vegetable Seeds to do something special in honor of this month. Bayer Vegetable Seeds is committed to delivering on their vision of health for all and hunger for none, and the mental well-being of farmers and other agricultural stakeholders is critical to that goal. So big thanks to Bayer for the support as we share this mini-series of episodes, along with some other cool surprises throughout the month of May. Hey Hey there, there, friends friends and and farmers. farmers. I'm Marshall. And I'm Taylor. And this is the Mind Your Melon Podcast. We're excited to bring you the first season of our podcast, sharing thoughts, stories, and resources to inspire healthier minds with proactive choices and lifestyles. We'll cover a lot of topics, including fitness, food, and even finances, all contributing to healthy minds and proactive lifestyles. Tough topics for sure, but don't worry, because we're going to try our best to lighten them up with a bit of humor here and there. Thanks for listening. Now, mind your melon. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Mind Your Melon podcast. I'm really excited to bring you this new conversation where we have the chance to hear from Dr. Grant McDougal from the Southeastern Counseling and Consultation. Dr. McDougal has an extensive background in the field of psychology and a lot of expertise in the area of law enforcement especially. But on today's episode, he's not just talking about law enforcement. He's sharing some wisdom with us on general psychology and also sharing some practical advice that I hope will encourage you to mind your melon. Dr. Grant, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate you just being willing to sit down and have this conversation with me. More than welcome. Now... I just want to give a little bit of background, and I'm, I'm going to give you the chance to say it in your own words and talk about who you are and what you do and everything, but I will say I've, I've really been looking forward to this conversation, and so Taylor and I, with Mind Your Melon, we're wanting to talk about resources and, and things for not just people in the agriculture industry, but any listeners to, to check in and just try to better understand mental health, mental well-being, whatever terminology you want to use, and I really appreciate you being willing to give some perspective on the field of psychology, not necessarily just from an agricultural perspective, but sort of in general. So I'm, I'm happy that just by some mutual connections and, and different walks of life that we were able to get, get connected and get to know each other. So I, again, just really appreciate your time. Sure. Glad to be here. Now, if you don't mind just sharing in, in your own words, uh, what exactly is it that you do? your background. Um, Just talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So I'm a uh, licensed mental health counselor, a psychotherapist, and uh, I own a company, Southeastern Counseling Consultation. We have a couple offices in Florida, one in Gainesville and one in Punta Gorda, which is where you and I are at right now. Uh, Used to be a tiny little small town when I was born and raised here, not so much anymore. Um, But I've specialized over the years. I started out wanting to be a a counselor, psychologist type, uh, mental health counselor, and um, just helping people with their problems. And uh, was on faculty at the University of Florida for a little bit of time and uh, didn't like academia all that much and wanted to own my own business. So I started my own practice. And over the years, over the decades, it has sort of uh, gotten a life of its own, and now I work almost exclusively in the field of law enforcement and first responders. There's a there's an old saying that says, man plans and God laughs, and I think my career reflects that uh, 
pretty well. I had absolutely no intention of working in law enforcement. In fact, I think when I was a kid in small towns, I used to run from those guys and gals <laughs> on my on a motorcycle back in Orange Groves. Um, but uh, that's where I find myself now. And I, I just, it's a great fit. It's a very specialized population, fiercely independent, stoic, cynical group of folks that... Sounds um, familiar. Yeah, exactly. And uh, my approach or my, I guess you'd say, brand or style of working with people seems to fit really, really well with that population. I'm a I'm not the most touchy-feely guy in the world. Uh, I, I care about how people feel, obviously, but I, I want to know what you're doing about it. And uh, I, I take a, a pretty practical, strategic, um, hands-on, but but really sort of behavioral approach to working uh, with problems with mental health. Um, in my line of work, a lot of what I do now is I travel a lot around the country. I'm on the board for a couple of different law enforcement organizations. I do a lot of speaking and training in the field of law enforcement and first responders. And then in my clinical practice, I do a lot of pre-employment evaluations for law enforcement agencies, critical incident debriefings. Um, I work a lot with cumulative stress and trauma and things of that nature. And then I do a lot of field work. So um, recently I was working uh, with a, a cartel interdiction team down on the U.S.-Mexico border and uh, working with those those brave men and women and uh, trying to understand their their uh, job a little bit better and how we as a as a country can support them and as a as a profession in psychology how we can do better um, by law enforcement so I have a really 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 diverse job and, and absolutely most days love what I do I, I am thankful for that background it's impressive just sitting here listening to and I already knew it so I can only imagine the people listening to this just putting all those pieces together and some of them might even be wondering, okay, how did Marshall get connected with this guy? That's a great question. So I, I, go, I go back to what I originally said when we just started out. So in, in just the average walk of life, I probably wouldn't have been introduced to you, but we've got some great mutual contacts within the ag industry. Um, so shout out to those folks. You know who you are, who are able to introduce us. But unless we would have passed, you know, in, in the fishing boats down here in Boca Grande or something like that, you know, we, we more than likely wouldn't have actually crossed paths or touched base. But I really started going down this whole rabbit hole of mental well-being and in the field of psychology for my own understanding, my own background. And I was trying to find some correlations in other fields. And as you very well know, you and I have talked about it at length now, the, the research and some of the data that's been generated within the agriculture industry, it can be, it can be fragmented, it can be PC. And, and so we've been trying to look into that. And so instead, we've been looking at the periphery at these other fields where maybe there are some similar demographics, there are some similar conditions, and, and you talk a little bit about that cumulative stress piece. So I'm, I'm very curious to start breaking this down a little bit and talking about maybe some comparing and contrasting or some general background on if somebody is listening, they're from the ag background, okay, how does this make sense? What does it all mean? So... What do you think is a good starting point? Should we just talk a little bit about psych or should we talk about stress? What do you think? Well, I, I think they're both kind of rolled up into one. It's hard to talk about stress without talking about psych. But I, I think one of the big problems is that we this whole term psychology and mental health, uh, you know, when I was growing up in, in, in a small town like this, we, we didn't have psychologists. We didn't have uh, mental health counselors. Um, we grew up in an era where people were fiercely independent. You dealt with your own problems. Suck it up was a term that I heard all the time. Um, and 
you know, so when, when I started, I remember when I started thinking about psychology, a lot of my friends thought, well, why are you going to work in the crazy field? And that, that sounds derogatory, but that, that was the mentality back then. And by and large, a lot of people still think that if you go see a counselor, you're crazy. If you go to see a mental health therapist, then you're broken or there's something wrong with you. So I think that when we talk about cumulative stress and psychology, I, you know, one of the first things I do is, is, you know, work with people on normalizing this stuff. Um, I, I, you and I have spoken, I don't know a lot about farm stress other than my own experience with friends of mine who are growers and planters. And I, I grew up in a very agrarian culture and I watched the stress and pressures that they went through, but I don't ever, and I, and I use that term specific, I don't ever remember them reaching out for any kind of professional clinical help ever. And I think that's one of the things you see in law enforcement might often, quite often. One of the really interesting things that I've and, and quite frustrating it is I'll have a, a patient come into my office for the first time and he or she sits down and they start talking about all the things that they're facing, whether it's financial problems, physical problems, family problems. Uh, they just go down this list and it piles up and it piles up and it piles up. And then about halfway through the session when they're done describing all this stuff, they look at me and they go, so doc, I, I don't know what the heck is wrong with me. And I, I, you know, the first thing I think is, well, there's not a darn thing wrong with you, but there's a heck of a lot, a lot, lot wrong with what you're going <laughs> it's through. It's a long list. Yeah. Exactly. It's amazing how often our normal ain't normal, but yet we expect to be okay. We expect to be fine. We expect to be able to handle it. Well, you know, to me, I think one of the first things we've got to do is to kind of put things into context and understand that most of the time when you're at wit's end, your normal's not normal. You're in the extremes. And life is this marathon that so often we're expected to sprint through. And our body and our mind is just not hardwired to do that. I grew up with tough individuals. I grew up, uh, I would say, very poor. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but I grew up with very, very hard, tough individuals. Um, but, and I learned a lot from them about resilience, but I, I think that we, there comes a point where it, it's not just smart, but it's, it's tremendously wise to reach out for help. And one of the things I've learned from you in, in, in our discussions, our brief discussions about farmers, is they're really not unlike a lot of the cops that I deal with. People don't realize this, but the vast majority of cops in this country come from really, really small agencies, tiny agencies, the vast majority, 80, 90% of law enforcement in the United States is made up of very tiny agencies. These are country folks. These are people that um, are, again, they grew up in, in an area where they're independent, they're strong, they're autonomous. They don't reach out for help. Um, but we know statistically that there's a, there's a drastic need for that. And, you know, so I suspect that farmers and, and growers and, and people in the agriculture industry aren't all that much different. Um, so I think one of the first things that I look at is how do we normalize this so that people don't think there's, you know, I'm broken just because I'm reaching out for help. And it, that it strikes a chord with me because that's something I've, I've had this conversation so many times with people who have reached out one-on-one or, or groups I've had the chance to interact with. And we always get to the point of mental illness versus what we're considering or terming mental health. I think people automatically associate or confuse those two say, but just like you said, well, I'm not crazy. Well, it's, it's not about being crazy. It's not about having a mental illness. It's just our overall well-being, our total well-being in the general stresses that we face, especially when they're compounding stresses mm -hmm. over and over and over. Those start piling up. 
Oh, absolutely. And Both so, mentally and physically. I mean, there's, there's a tremendous amount of data on biologically what happens to you with cortisol, norepinephrine, all the chemicals that kind of regulate not only how you feel emotionally, but how, you've, you, know, how, how you are physically, your physical health. Um, and you bring up a great point, Marshall, that there, there's a drastic difference between mental illness and mental health. They're, they're related, obviously, but I would argue that, that the majority of people that come in my office, they don't have a diagnosable mental illness. Are they struggling? Absolutely. But I would encourage the audience to find somebody in their life that they can identify that doesn't have an issue. You're going to be looking for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, I'll never forget as long as I live when I was studying Psych 101. I opened up this book. It's called the DS. Well, back then it was the DSM-3, I think. It's the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. It's what we use to diagnose people. And I'm going through this thing and I'm going, oh, wow, there's a relative. Oh, wow, that one. I'm, yeah, and I just did right. list after list of good Lord. We all have issues. Everybody does. Uh, you know, that's how we're made. We're flawed creatures, you know, beautifully flawed creatures. We all have issues. But that doesn't mean that we have a disorder, that we're broken, that there's something necessarily wrong with us. Uh, I have some OCD traits. If you get on one of my boats, you'll start looking around and going, uh, yeah, this guy's got, because my, you know, my, my, uh, my, my dock lines go here and my tackle goes there and you can't put those hooks in that box. And um, I have some OCD traits. I don't have obsessive compulsive disorder. I just have some of those traits. And so a lot of times when those traits begin to kind of exacerbate and become a little bit bigger, more significant, especially under stress, we start, again, questioning what's wrong with me. And I think one of the first things in therapy that we look at is let's put this stuff into context. If I'm sitting here across the room from you right now, and we, you know, we got our headsets on and our microphones, and, and, and all of a sudden I just jump up and I start flailing my arms and jumping up and down like a crazy madman, there's two things that are going to happen. Number one, we're going to end this podcast. <laughs> and number two, you're going to walk out here going, that guy's crazier than a bucket of frogs, you know? <laughs> but if you see a bee or a wasp or a hornet fly down the back of my shirt, and then I behave that way. Changes the narrative. Absolutely. It changes the context. And so often what people don't do is put things into context when they are struggling emotionally. Um, and, and I can talk for days about that. So, you know, again, one of the things that we, we do in the beginning, uh, when we're working with somebody is not necessarily normalize what they're going through, but put Maybe it in context. Or- you got it. Put it in context. Say, okay, pal, if you didn't have this going on in your life, what would it look like? Well, you know, I, I chances are doc, I'd be pretty happy. Okay. So are you the problem or is the situation you find yourself in the problem? And if that's the case, what are we going to do about it? Um, so yeah, I, I think that if we could somehow get across to people that reaching out for help is not an indication of, again, I hate to use this term, but craziness or psychopathology, then we're taking a step in the right direction. But that's, that's a, that's a really, really hard stream to jump across. That's a tough thing to do. And you and I, and, and, and we'll get into some more of the comparing and contrasting, I imagine, but we've talked about this multi-generational aspect of of the farming industry mm-hmm. the agriculture industry and we start talking about sort of this i'll, I'll call it the old school mentality of sure. suck it up buttercup sure. and, and that kind of thing and we just don't we've never really been encouraged to talk openly about these things and if there's something that really comes away from this conversation or listening to this episode i hope it is that that if if we really dig down below the surface of it so many of us are dealing with such similar things in terms of stress or just challenges that we face. And if we were to start having these normalized conversations, I think we would uncover a lot more similarities than differences that we're, that we're facing. And there's such a therapeutic value in that. 
Um, I, I don't think people realize that, you know, there's that old term, misery loves company. <laughs> and I, there, there's a lot of truth to that. I, I'm not a big believer in embracing victimhood. I, I, don't, I don't subscribe to that. I think that we become victims sometimes, not any fault of our own, but I think choosing to stay a victim, that's a choice. Now, I, there's a lot of people out there that are going to disagree with me on that, and, and I understand. But I, So I'm not a fan of wallowing in your misery, but I think having somebody to share those experiences with that has walked the walk or, or, or knows a little bit about what that experience is like is tremendously therapeutic. And, you know, I look at a lot of times these negative emotions, whether, you know, it's stress, anxiety, depression, whatever the case may be, to me, they're almost kind of uh, cancerous, if you will. If they stay inside of you long enough, they tend to metastasize and grow and and become really tough to get a hold of and and beat. If you're processing them, uh, you and I spoke before about an interview I had with a, a law enforcement officer many years ago. He came into my office. I was doing clinical interviews that I was videotaping to use for training at agencies around the country. And this guy came into my office, and he's this big, burly guy. His dad was a Navy SEAL. This guy looks like he could just chew nails in half. And he was telling me about this experience that he had, this traumatic experience. And right in the middle of this interview, he just breaks down and starts sobbing on video and completely unexpected. And uh, this guy had more street cred than I'll ever have in my life in, in law enforcement. And he breaks down and completely unexpected. And, and, he, and he starts talking about his experience. And so I asked him at one point, I said, when did it start to get better for you? When did you, you know, because you got through this thing. And he said, when I started talking about it. And I said, and I immediately jumped to, okay, what therapist did you see? You know, <laughs> and, and, and it, dumb on my part, he said, my wife, my pastor, my father. I just started talking about it. I got the stuff that was eating me up inside out. And we, we were very clear in that interview. That it didn't fix everything. It wasn't this magic pill. But he began to exercise those demons, if you will. He began to process it. And, and then he began talking with people that had gone down similar paths to him. There was a tremendous therapeutic value to that. Um, I'm not, and, and I, you know, the American Psychological Association and the American Counseling Association are probably not going to like me saying this, but I don't know that you got to see a therapist most of the time. I, I don't know that that's necessarily something that's critical. There are certain times where you need that professional clinical help, but I think leaning on people and reaching out and sharing some of these experiences and just talking through the problem, working that problem with somebody can be as valuable than, than, than going in, laying down on a couch and doing your typical Frasier thing. I go back to one of the very first conversations you and I had, and I, I don't know, and, and I don't necessarily expect you to remember this, but it's something that stuck out to me uh, when, whenever I was talking uh, or just interacting with you. You made the comment, and you said, "Hey, I'm not necessarily a pioneer. I'm, I'm, you know, not necessarily some just juggernaut in the field of psychology. I'm willing to have the conversations that a lot of people are not willing to have." and that's something that stuck out to me with this whole concept of what we're trying to do, working with growers and working with farmers. Maybe don't necessarily have the credentials or anything like that or, or the letters behind the name, but just being willing to have the conversations that a lot of people aren't really willing to have yet. And, and that's something that I think is a big takeaway, too, is there's more value to just being willing to have the conversation with a loved one, with a friend, with, with somebody in your network than people even realize. Yeah, I, it's I, again, I think it, it, it kind of wraps up in this whole mental health thing. I was talking to a, um, uh, a grower, I'll try to stay confidential on this, I was talking to a grower years ago about this, and I don't know if I brought this up with you or not, but 
he was talking about how he had struggled. He had lost a good percentage of his, um, actually of his farm. He had to sell off part of his farm and he was, he was talking about the struggles involved in that. And again, I'm, I'm not a grower. I'm not a farmer. Um, so I'm asking a lot of questions trying to understand what that's like. And, uh, it, at some point in the conversation, I asked him, I said, you, so you, you have a lot of equipment, like farm equipment. He said, yes, sir, I do. And I said, so you maintain all that on your own? And he said, well, no, I don't. And I said, so who helps you with that? And he said, well, you know, I got a farmer down the street that helps me or a guy on this plot of land that'll come up. I said, so you'll reach out and get help for that, right? And he said, yeah. I said, what's the difference? And he looked at me kind of funny. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're, you're, you're willing to put yourself out there, be vulnerable, whatever it is, to ask for help to fix the transmission or the... You know, the, but, but you won't do it. Said, well, no, no, no. Those are two completely different mm-hmm. things. Completely different things. What? No, no I'm not going to share my business. I'm going to air my dirty laundry. He had this mentality of, of, and I, and I appreciate that. Again, I grew up in that culture. Um, I don't know anything that's, at least my own personal perspective, that's more difficult than to be vulnerable. I, I don't know. Uh, much more difficult. It's it's sort of the psychological nudity sometimes that you got to expose yourself to. So I, I completely get where men and women who are from those cultures are coming from. But, you know, again, maybe we're looking at this thing a little bit too complicated. Maybe it's just reaching out and saying, hey, you want to go grab a beer and talk about some things? Or, you know, reaching out to a family member, are you doing okay? How, what can I do to help? You don't have to have a PhD or an MD behind your name to provide support and, and love and care. Um, so I, I think, again, you know, we, we sort of misconceptualize what mental health is all about. And we immediately run to these, if I, if I had a, you know, if I had a dollar for every person that's been in my office in the last 30 years that said, uh, or 20 years that's, you know, said, you know, not a doc, there's nothing, you know, I'm not diagnosable or there's no, you know, no, I know you're not, you know, you're, you're, you're a normal guy in a messed up situation and, yeah, uh, a lot. yeah, yeah. So I think if, if we can somehow reach the masses and help them understand a little bit better that you don't have to be psychotic or, or have some type of psychopathy that, that's, that fits some DSM diagnosis just to go in there and get some support and help, um, and, you know, as opposed to the alternatives, and when I say alternatives, I'm talking about alcoholism, substance abuse, suicide, divorce, um, you know, the list goes on and on and on of these really dysfunctional coping mechanisms or reactions that we see in this country, which, oh, by the way, are increasing exponentially. Yes. Um, the, the data is scary right now. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it, there's been a lot of changes in our country in the last probably five years and I've always been an optimist. Um, some of my friends make fun of me that I'm so optimistic, but, um, this, this has been the most difficult time of my life to digest kind of what's going on in our country and, um, not only try to make sense out of it, but, but navigate through it. But yeah, a lot of the data that I'm seeing is, is pretty frightening. And this is probably a decent segue and, and I, I'm not trying to force it or anything, but I want to, want to go back to, you were one of the first people who I've ever had the chance to interact with and ha- start having the conversation around what we're going to call cumulative stress. Mm-hmm. Now, r- real quick before we talk about it, I-, I think it would be relevant and maybe we can just allude to it a little bit, but something that comes up at least in conversations I've been having is, well, stress isn't all bad. you know. What, Correct. It, so I think it's fair to point out that stress inherently by itself isn't always a bad thing or isn't necessarily a bad thing, but there are different levels of stress. There's different types of stress, whether we look at the spectrum of it, acute stress and things like that that could actually 
you know, help us accomplish and achieve and Absolutely. give us a sense of reward. But then it's when it starts turning into moderate or chronic. And then we get into this, we'll talk about cumulative stress. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that really stuck out when we started talking about law enforcement and agriculture and farming and ranching is the idea that, that we just start facing these recurring stressors and we're not really able to deal with all of them or get them processed in a timely manner or take care of all of them. So they almost start rolling over and compounding and building, snowballing yep. almost. Yeah. I, that probably is an area in my line of work where I, where I specialize in law enforcement. That's probably the area that I focus most on, not because that's the most interesting area, because I think that's the most prolific, damaging and pervasive in, in not only in law enforcement, but I'm starting to think just in our country in general. Um, and you, you're absolutely correct. Stress is stress can be a good thing. Um, stress got me to this office on time this morning <laughs> when I had a lot of other stuff going on. I looked on my calendar and thought, I got Marshall Sewell here. I can get my butt into gear. Um, and I was a little stressed. You know, I hit the uh, single lane traffic jam down here because of construction. Yeah, I felt stress. Absolutely. Um, so stress can, can be absolutely a good thing. There's something called use stress, which motivates us. Like when we're studying for an exam in, in college or, you know, stress can be positive. And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because there's a big negative connotation. And even acute stress isn't anything that is necessarily toxic or lethal. Uh, it, it's part of the human existence. I am a big believer in adversity. Um, I believe that there's a value in struggle. There's a value in adversity. One of the big concerns I have about this new generation coming up is that we're removing a lot of that or becoming too sensitive and, and, uh, you know, microaggressions and all this kind of crazy stuff. And, um, so I, I think there's a big value in stress and, and challenges and adversities and, and even failure. I think failures are, can be a really good thing. I have certainly flopped in my life on more than one occasion, uh, taking a shot at something, um, but when we think about cumulative stress, so we have stress that comes along every now and then that I would say is a, a very normal, typical part of life experience. And, and, you know, one of the things I have two sons, if, uh, if I've got an addiction in my life, that's it. I, I love those guys and, and, uh, they're just, they're amazing young men. And, um, but we tried to raise them in a way that, that, uh, we wanted them to learn how to embrace the suck. That's a term that I use quite mm -hmm. often. You know, you're, you're going to, you're going to encounter the suck in life, learn how to embrace it, process through it, learn from it, grow from it, so forth. That part of that suck is stress. Cumulative stress, a whole nother ball game, whole nother ball game. Um, and I, I don't want to get into the biology or the real kind of deep textbook mm -hmm. psychology of it all, but, but in layman's terms, you know, the way that I look at it, um, I'll give you a great example just off the top of my head. It, back in the 15th, 16th century, there was this stuff called Chinese water torture. Most of, us, most of us have heard of that. Um, if you haven't, just a real quick definition is, is they would strap these fellas down and they would drip water, just a tiny little drip of water on their forehead. Usually it was cold water, but they would drip it on their forehead constantly over and over and over again. And it was considered one of the most brutal tortures ever invented and one of the most effective interrogation. To, it's a drip of water. It's not the intensity, it's not the severity, it's the chronicity of it. It's the fact that it's wearing you down. How do you think the Grand Canyon got created? It wasn't from one massive flood. It was a chronic, consistent flow of water. Stress is absolutely no different, and we don't look at it that way enough. Uh, if you look at the day, here's a great uh, way to, if, you, if you're kind of wondering about the power of stress from a psychological standpoint, go visit a cardiologist and ask them about it and see what that physician tells you. It is 
absolutely without question, physiologically and psychologically, one of the most damaging things to, to a human being is that cumulative stress. And the other really kind of scary part about it is, is it doesn't have to be this overwhelming event on a daily basis. You know, all of my tractors are broken down in one day. Uh, my entire crop died the next day. It's not that type of cumulative stress that gets people. It's the stuff that you think you should be able to handle. And that's a big, big, big key. A lot of men and women that come into my office, they're really beating themselves up because they're saying, well, I should be able to handle that. Well, yeah, if it's one drip of water, well, I should be able to handle that. Yeah, if it's a few drips of water. But when it's buckets. Day after day after day. It's the chronicity. It's not the intensity. It's not the severity. It's, the, it's that, that frequency and chronicity. And what we're seeing in our, in our culture, in our country, is that that stress is becoming more prevalent. And I think that, you know, again, um, I, I use this. I used to work in the field of chronic pain when I first started out, uh, chronic um, pain management. And what I learned about that uh, that's really helped me with cumulative stress is that usually it wasn't the individual that had a catastrophic injury with really, really severe pain that from a psychological standpoint was a hot mess. It was the people that had the chronic pain, even minor, but it never went away. That was the stuff that would get them to the point where they're suicidal or an alcoholic, whatever the case may be. Stress is no different. If you, you know, one of the things your audience, one of the things your audience can do, which is a really cool experiment at home is you, t- you, you take, I do this in audiences all the time. It's kind of funny to watch a group of 500 people in an auditorium doing this stuff. And God help me if somebody walks in during this example, because <laughs> they'll turn around and walk right back out. Say, this guy up on stage is a lunatic, but I'll have the audience take their non-dominant hand. So if I'm right, you know, I'll take my left hand, I'll ball it into a fist and I'll have them thump one time as hard as they can. That little soft spot between your thumb and your pointer finger, pointer finger. And I'll ask them, measure the level of that pain on a zero, a scale from zero to 10. And the vast majority of the audience is going to tell you a one. And then for the next two minutes, I'll talk continuously, but I'm having them thump that same spot over and over and over again every second. Then the last thing I ask them to do is to thump it one last time and give me a pain measurement. Almost every single person in the audience will double that rating. And then I ask them to look at their hand. It's becoming inflamed, irritated, red, swollen. Your mind is no different than your body. And if you've got things pounding away at it day in and day out, even if it's just a little thump, it is going to react. And, and so I think for me, the cumulative stress is, is usually far more dangerous than that one big event that, that hits somebody. And I think that's something that's so pertinent to, to our audience, at least within in and mind you, we've got people listening who aren't necessarily just from production, but especially within agriculture. I, I think you look at some of those factors. There are those stressors in your day-to-day life. And then if you also take into consideration the business-related aspects as well and the farm and, and operation and those things, just these day-to-day stressors and a constantly evolving, changing landscape within the business. So that was... I appreciate you sharing that. That's something I really wanted to take away from this and and have listeners here is just that, you know, individually, these things seem like something that maybe might not be huge, but it's the fact that we're dealing with them day in and day out. And if we're not taking the time to properly address them, or if uh, I I think to sort of paraphrase what you said earlier, if we're just letting them metastasize or or build up over time, it's just going to compound and make that situation that much worse. Typically does. Yeah, typically does. My experience has been, um, you, you and I were talking, uh, when you first got here to the office and, uh, 
I've got a place on the water down here and I grew up on the water and, 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 you know, that, that's kind of my therapy. I've got two boats out my back door and I, I, you know, I, I go as often as I possibly can. Um, one of the things that does for me is it helps me clear my headspace a little bit. And, and usually no offense to my wife of 32 years or, or my boys, or, you know, a lot of times it's just me and my dog out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it just kind of provides me a chance to sort of clear some headspace. And then I work pretty actively at processing the stress that I have in my life. I, I'll be very frank. I'm not as good at it as I should be. And, uh, to save myself from hypocrisy, a lot of the stuff that I talk about, I don't practice as well as I preach. Um, but I'm a human, I'm a, you know, I'm a flawed individual before I'm anything else. So I, you know, I've been blessed to learn a lot from people that have made mistakes and, and then I've learned a lot from my own mistakes. But one of the things I think I'm pretty darn good at is putting things into perspective. And there are times where I'm not doing well, um, from a stress standpoint or, you know, managing my time or whatever. And, and I, I'm, I'm relatively forgiving of myself. I understand, okay, well you got too much on your plate, fella. Um, I think the other thing, and I certainly don't want to, you know, just sit here and glorify the problem or, or, you know, identify the problem. I think knowing what to do about it is key. It's, it's just absolutely key. And I think the the big problem here is, and this is strictly my opinion. I want to be very clear about that. There's rarely a, an easy fix or a quick fix or an obvious fix. And that, and it's, it's really timely because I was looking down at the recording and everything, and I, I could talk to you about this probably for the mm-hmm. rest of the day. And I know you don't have time for that. And, and, and so we'll start wrapping up here, but I think it's a really good time to talk about how we apply all of this. Mm-hmm. And to your point, if you look at our society nowadays, this is just my perspective, completely sure. unprofessional, but we live in this immediate gratification or instant gratification type society. Something's wrong. Where's the easy button? Where's the pill? Yep. What can I do? And I don't think it's that simple. And, and it seems like that's something you and I have, have sort of agreed on is... And I also don't think it's necessarily a one-size-fits-all. It's going to be sort of uh, an a la carte menu, I guess you could say, for people and, and what they are receptive to. And so I guess if, if we could just talk a little bit about next steps. So sure. we we think that talking it out or having these conversations proactively, that's mm-hmm. a really good step. But I've personally looked into bottoms-up approach, top-down approach. Is it, you know, some people claim from the bottoms-up approach it's, my, my body will lead to helping my mind. So, mm-hmm. you know, going and participating in an activity, going and, and just taking myself away from the situation sure. and, and busying myself with something else. Other versions are the top down. Like I need to deal with my mind first. I need to reframe. I need to distance from it. And then that will lead to, you know, the other end. And so curious to get your thoughts on just things that to this audience might be tangible or practical. Yeah. So I think the first thing I would say, uh, is, that might be helpful, draw a line in the sand. And what I mean by that is, is that I see a lot of people suffer that shouldn't be. And I think it's valuable because again, if your population is like my population that I work with quite often, they're not rushing to the therapy office. They're not rushing to the pharmacy to get a pill. Um, Ask yourself the question, what's the benchmark? What's the line in the sand that I got to get to, to know I got to do something different? to know that I need help. Do I need to be a raging alcoholic? Hopefully not. Do I need to divorce my wife? Hopefully not. Do I need to beat the hell out of my kids because I'm frustrated and angry? Hopefully not. You know, what is that line in the sand that you got to get to, to know I got to do something different? This is not working. This is not healthy. I'm, I can't keep doing this because a lot of times these guys and gals are so damn tough 
They'll never reach that point till it's too late. So one of the first things I challenge people to say is, all right, if you're not there yet to reach out and get help or to try to figure this thing out, what does there look like to you? Write that crap down, put it in a sock drawer, and come back and look at it in a month and see where you're at. Um, make it something that's concrete that you can kind of get a fix on. And then when you're there, have the courage to do something about it. So that's kind of the first thing I look at is, are you there at? And if you're not, where is there? So that you're not doing this a year from now or two years from now, or you get to a point where you can't recover. And and that's a whole nother ball of wax. I think the other thing that I look at is, um, you know, you, you, you phrased it really well. One size does not fit all. Therapy is not for everybody. Um, there are times, here's what we know for a fact. This is not my opinion. This is a fact. The most effective form of treating any kind of psychological, almost any kind of psychological disorder is a combination of medications and therapy. And there's not a close second, but that doesn't mean that everybody needs to go get on antidepressants and go to therapy. Um, I've had tremendous success working with uh, individuals that never went on medications. I've seen individuals who've gotten better, who have gone on medications, but I think that the first step is figuring out, you know, what it is that you're looking for. Do you, you know, do you, do you feel like you need some help, some professional help or not? If you're not real sure, you can always start by just reaching out. And I don't want to sound too simplistic, but talking to a neighbor, talking to a friend, there are pastors and minister and ministry out there that are tremendously good at, at listening um, to, to what you, but you need to start processing this stuff. Again, as you said, it's not a quick fix, but the vast majority of people I've seen, I expect your audience the same way. If these problems were simple, we wouldn't be having this podcast. You know, if, if I, I don't think I've ever, ever had a, and I, I've seen a thousand patients if I've seen one, I don't think I've ever had a person come into my office with something that was easy to fix ever. They have struggled. They've gotten themselves in these very complicated, very sophisticated situations that they can't find their way out of. So I think beginning just to talk with people, and I know, again, that sounds super simple, but it's harder than you think it is to sit down and go, I'm afraid I'm going to lose everything. Or, you know, I've thought about just giving up. Or sometimes I feel like I'm losing my mind. Sometimes those are hard statements to say, but this value in saying them. Another thing that I want to really emphasize, I mean really emphasize, a lot of people feel like when you get to a point where you're suicidal or you're having these really dark, that, that you're crazy. I've had suicidal patients. I've had a lot of them in my career. I, I, can, I can only name a couple that really had some severe psychopathology that you would use that terrible term crazy on. Most of them haven't lost their minds. They've lost hope. There's a big difference, a huge difference. And so most of the time when I'm working with somebody, I, I don't try to get them feeling better right away. What I do tell them is, look, you're in this dark, deep, you know, muddy hole. If you try to look at the horizon optimistically, all your butt's going to see are those muddy walls. So let's realize where you're at, put it in context, and let's try to climb out of that thing. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I see in these, these kind of societies, these kind of cultures, the biggest step is that first one, just reaching out and talking to somebody. So going back to kind of what we were talking about, I think there's, there's two different ways you approach this. Number one, as the person that needs the help, and that's where you reach out, again, whether it's to a family member, a friend, a clergy. Um, if your listeners want to write this, this down, there's a, uh, there's a website. I'm not affiliated with it in any way, shape, or form, but it's a good referral source. It's called psychologytoday.com. It's all one word, psychologytoday.com. They have a really extensive referral list of mental health counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, and a real good filter mechanism. So let's say, for example, 
I practice uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. That's, and it's not one better than the other. That's just kind of what I was taught and what I found most effective with the clients that I work with. You can filter out cognitive behavioral therapists on Psychology Today, put in your zip code, and they'll tell you where the therapists are in your area if you want to reach out to one, and it's completely confidential. Um, but, but don't think you got to go lay on somebody's couch. And, and for the record, nobody lays on my couch in my <laughs> office except for me when I'm taking a nap. Um, y- you know, reaching out to people that love you, that care about you, that, you know, I, I, I tell men and women this all the time. If you got diagnosed with cancer, would you do nothing? Of course not. And, and mental health can be just as lethal absolutely is lethal. So it's about taking that first step to reach out and, and understand that your normal ain't normal. And you, you probably are feeling the way you're feeling for very legitimate reasons. If you reach out and you begin to process these things with people that, you know, again, clergy, informal uh, lines of support, and you're still not getting better, or you're noticing other type of physiological symptoms, then maybe it is time to reach out for uh, some professional help to kind of figure out, you know, what's going on with me biologically. When we become depressed or when we become anxious and it turns into something like an anxiety disorder, which is by far the most prevalent disorder in our country now, anxiety disorders, there is a chemical change in our body. And so a lot of times, even if you want to feel better, you just can't. And you'll see a lot of people in these kind of uh, stoic, independent, they're fighting that battle like you cannot imagine. Um, Not to get into too many details, I know we got to wrap up here, but one of the best examples I can use is PMS. And for all you ladies out there, don't start throwing stuff at your, you know, at your iPad or your radio or whatever. I, I've been married a long time. I'm very well experienced with uh, with PMS. And uh, for the record, I married up, so I'll tolerate that any day of the week. But, but the reason I bring that up is when a woman's going through her menstrual cycle and she gets to that time in the month, she has a lot of changing and shifting in her body from a chemical standpoint, um, whether it's estrogen, serotonin, or epinephrine, cortisol, all these different chemicals are shifting. And so you'll see sometimes as a profound impact upon her mood, profound. And then eventually, God willing, it kind of goes back to normal and stabilizes, and you're on your way the rest of this 28 days of the month or 20 days of the month. In depression and anxiety, those same kind of chemicals will shift in a person's body, male or female, doesn't matter. The problem is, is they don't shift back very easily at all. And so sometimes we need therapy or we need medications or something to help us make that shift back to our baseline, back to our normal. So you'll see a lot of men and women that are just battling this thing. Uh, you know, I'm not, anybody that knows me knows I'm not a big fan of prescribing medications, um, but I'm a huge fan for prescribing, for prescribing them when they're necessary. Um, but that's kind of two or three steps down the road. The first step is reaching out, you know, and understanding that, look, my normal ain't normal. I'm in a bad spot like a lot of other people are. Do I have the courage to reach out, lean on somebody, ask for some help, or just ask for an ear you know, that, that, that will listen to me process some of this stuff? My experience has been when you start down that path, it can lead to some pretty good things. Doc, I can't thank you enough. I just, I'm, I'm sitting here almost feeling slightly overwhelmed just with all these chunks of wisdom. Uh, I'm throwing you, too much at you No, here. no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep up, and it's just it's fantastic. I, the work that you're doing within the law enforcement field just – how you sort of gradually evolved it, you, you know, your, your career and your business. And I, I feel very fortunate to have had the chance just again, in these walks of life to have crossed paths with you and to be able to share this information, these resources to people listening who 
in other circumstances, I don't know if they would be hearing this or, or if they would be finding this information. So thank you for that. For anybody listening, I think that's a really, a really good call out just at some starting points and understanding that the challenges don't make us crazy. They, they aren't all that abnormal, but we do have to take a proactive approach in, in how we go about drawing that line in the sand and, and beginning to handle them and deal with them. So on that note, Doc, any closing comments or any final thoughts you'd like to add? Otherwise, we'll we'll wrap it up and hopefully let you get to the boat. Uh, yeah, not today. It's blowing out. Um, no, I. You know, when you first came to me, I, I thought it was, I was being very frank and full disclosure. I thought it was a little odd that you know here comes this fellow wearing a mind the melon shirt and a farmer, and I thought, what in the world does this guy want to talk to me about? What I realized, what I learned, and that's the coolest part about life. If you open your mind up, you learn stuff every darn day. But but what I learned was there is a tremendous similarity between the the people that are doing um, just life giving work out there in, in farming and uh, agriculture, and then the the people that I have been working with for the last few decades in, in law enforcement. There's some really really strong similarities, and I. I I just, you know, one of my greatest concerns is, is it's that type of population that more often than not, they will not reach out for help. And, you know, what we know for a fact, this is not my opinion. This is a fact that the vast majority of this stuff is absolutely treatable, absolutely treatable. And, and, and usually does not take a lot of treatment. You just got to have the willingness and courage to, to reach out. And, and that's what I encourage people to do. Um, last thing I'll say is I, I remember very clearly my wife and I've been married 32 years and I, and, uh, we went through a rough spot. Um, and she came to me one day and she said, you know, I, I think we need to go see a therapist. And I remember crystal clear how opposed to that I was, I, I, I just became the world's greatest hypocrite. I, I, I didn't want to go. Um, I was scared. I did not want to air my dirty laundry. I didn't want to talk about the intimate stuff in our relationships. Um, it, it was probably the best medicine I'd ever taken was, was being in a situation where I had, you know, I had to make that choice where I chose to, to go sit in front of somebody and, and it was really, really valuable for my marriage, but it, it was not easy. It was not, it was not a quick fix. Um, but, but it, it was hard work that needed to be done. And I get a sense that people that listen to this podcast are hard workers, the vast majority of them. I can tell you right now, the farmers and growers and, and cattlemen, the people that I know in my life, they're hard workers, period. Um, this is hard work too. It is. It's just a different type of hard work. And, and I, you know, I would encourage your, your audience to really think long and hard about putting that work in. What I can promise you is Marshall is worth it. No, I think that's, that's a great point to end this on is just that vulnerability is hard. It is, it is a hard Scary. choice to make, but in the grand scheme of life and, and our overall well-being, it is worth the work that goes into it. So, again, thank you so much, Doc, and appreciate the time. And for anybody listening, I hope this will be a reminder to mind your melon.